Reading and understanding food labels can be challenging, especially if you did as poorly as I did in my college nutrition course. So thankfully, I'm joined today by registered dietitian Venus Kalami. She's been on before, and she's here today to help us read and understand food labels, avoid perpetually dieting, and mainly to help us understand that food should bring our kids and families joy and not be a source of stress. This is Health Talks from Stanford Children's Health. I'm Scott Webb. Venus, it's so great to have you back on. It's been a long minute since you and I have spoken, and this is a great topic, uh, one that I struggle with myself, whether I'm shopping or reading labels at home, and I'm sure others too. You you look at the labels on things for our kids, and your eyes maybe get a little blurry, and you get a little confused, and it's great to have experts like yourself on. So when it comes to reading labels and choosing foods for our kids, where should we start? Well, Scott, I'm probably going to give you an answer that you're not expecting. And the answer I like to give parents and caregivers is that we should start with ourselves and tuning into our built-in mechanisms of hunger and satiety and leaning into a concept called intuitive eating. And the reason I like to start here is that when we tune into these mechanisms that we already have, again, built into our bodies, biological, physiological mechanisms, Thinking about, worrying about, reading food labels comes more of an afterthought, a back burner thought. The reason I like parents and caregivers to do this is because when they do this, they're modeling a behavior rooted in physiology for their children. So I'd go as far as suggesting that before we get to even reading that food label and getting worried about percentages of vitamin C and grams of fat and grams of sugar, we should really ask ourselves basic questions. How hungry are we? What are we hungry for? When is the next meal? Will what's available satisfy you? And then based off of these answers, you may adjust what you're looking for in a food in general, and potentially if you need that detailed deep dive, then also what you're looking for in a food label. That's really interesting, and that would be so much easier for me. I took a nutrition class in college, And this two-credit class that I took that I thought was going to be such an easy one turned out to be the most challenging college course I ever took. (laughs) My head was just spinning on a daily basis. So it would be so much easier for me and I'm sure for many parents if we could just think about the foods, what's available, when we're eating next, how hungry are we, and so on, and then you know really work with our kids to put the right things on the table. Uh, All that said, when we think about labels, And we get to that point, so we've sort of answered those questions that you identified. When we get to the labels and we start looking at them, what are the most important components that we really should pay attention to? Absolutely. And Scott, I'll add on that many of my friends have also said similar things to you. Oh, I'm going to take this nutrition class and it's going to be so easy. And then they take it and they realize it's a bunch of biochemistry and that's not so much fun. I was so sure I had hacked the system. I'm like, this is amazing. (laughs) Two credits, nutrition. How hard could it be? (laughs) You know, but what I'll say about that, though, is that you walked out, what I'm hearing is that you walked out feeling like confused and maybe information overloaded. And something I tell my families a lot, and I think it's relevant to our conversation right now, is that beyond a certain point, knowing more about food actually doesn't help you be healthier and happier. And ultimately, when we're trying to look at food labels and make food choices, our goal is health, happiness, enjoyment, right? And so some of, some of this nitpicking can also get in the way of, of, of eating well, even though it comes from a place of good intention. So, you know, to your question, I think beyond the intuition, listening to the hunger and satiety, I think the next level of thinking that comes into the picture 
in guiding what's most important to pay attention to is the individualized perspective. What's going to be important is going to depend on the context of the individual child's needs. There are a lot of factors that go into making food choices and what's a food priority, if you will, for a child. Things like you know, age, preferences, their cultural background, food access, how physically active they are. All of these factors will guide what's important to pay attention to on a food label. And label reading can be a fantastic tool and it can also be a crutch. So it's not, you know, perfectly pure and fantastic as a tool. But if you think about someone who has like type 1 diabetes or someone who has food allergies, they really need to pay attention to really specific aspects like grams of carbohydrates or making sure they're avoiding peanuts on a food label. So my point here is that what's important on a food label is really going to depend on the individual and context beyond the basics of like, you know, trying to minimize sugar, choosing low sugar foods, trying to avoid foods with a lot of added salt. Beyond that, there's really not a whole much more that I encourage my families to look out for. And I prioritize more of balance and recognizing that different foods have their moments in your diet and that's okay. And we can be neutral about it and go with the flow. Yeah, I love that. And I, I make my daughter's uh, lunch. She's 14. I make her lunch every day because I told her, I, I said, I'm committed. This is your last year of sort of like grade school. So I'm going to make your lunch every single day because she's not one of those kids who wants the school lunch, unless mm-hmm. it's Fridays. Maybe they have Bosco sticks or something, you know. <laughs> but all the other days I make her lunch. And I do sort of as you're describing, right? I think about, okay. She had a long practice last night. She's got another thing tonight. She had uh, turkey yesterday. You know, so I think about what she's been eating, what she's got going on, what kind of energy levels she may need. And then I even get into, okay, well, if I'm going to give her an Uncrustable, you know, do, does this chip taste good? Does that complement that? Because this is kind of Yay. sweet and this <laughs> has got carbs. And I, I really do, despite being horrible in that nutrition course, I really do give this a lot of thought. And I try to do as you're saying, which is really put the kid first, right? Put her and her life and her needs, put those things first and worry less about the nutritional value or calories or anything like Mm -hmm. that. And it, it seems like good advice for all of us, really. It applies to everyone. So I know we're talking about kids, but it it applies to everyone no matter what life stage you're at. And I think what you just said is so perfect because you just told me I walked out of that nutrition class and I felt so confused. Right. And yet you still know how to do the intuitive work, right? Like you are making sure her foods are balanced, that she likes it and that she has enough for her needs and that she has enough energy for her practice, for example. And that's another point I like to bring up is that like kids can eat a lot more than adults. And that can be sometimes shocking to parents Mm -hmm. that are like, oh, my God, my child is eating so much. Like, am I overfeeding (laughs) them? Is this going to cause them health issues down the line? And again, when you think about the child and their individual needs, it peels away all these filters of worries that we've learned over time. We weren't born with these worries. We learned them from marketing or classes or things in that and have internalized them. And then we kind of project them on children with good intention again. But really, the answer is so much more simpler than, than we realize. Yeah, I think you're so right. And I was going to ask you a follow-up with, what do you wish more parents knew about food labels? But I think what I want to ask is not only about food labels, but also what don't we know, I guess is the right question, about food labels and about food. Well, when it comes to food, just you know, piggybacking off of everything I've said so far, that nutrition is really relatively young as a science, right? It's been around for a matter of decades. And prior to that, people have been eating. 
and they somehow stumbled in whatever way upon eating balanced foods and making it so far. And in that process, they've made food cultures and brought joy to the table and have so many celebrations that revolve around food and this positive light and, and you know, healthy and sometimes unhealthy ways. And so I always like to remind people, you know, since over the past few decades, we have been bombarded with so much nutrition information and food marketing, and often the messaging is contradictory and it leaves people with more questions than answers. I often like to tell people to come back to our roots as human beings, bring joy back to the table, have fun, you know, like have food experiences, get in the garden, cook. Don't worry about the grams of this and the milligrams of that. And as long as we're focusing on, you know, whole foods as much as we can within our ability and access, more home cooking when and where we can. And again, going with the flow with the rest of it and checking in once in a while, whether that's with your um, doctor or if you have access to dietitian, then your dietitian, you should be fine. You really should be fine and that we may not need to micromanage all the other things. Yeah, that must have been a glorious time when people just ate. Yeah. They just ate and they enjoyed themselves and they, you know, worked in the garden and they didn't, you know, stop themselves every time they went to buy something and think about the nutritional value. They just tried to eat well, to be happy, <laughs> to, uh, you know, to enjoy their lives. Exactly. Uh, and, and you've mentioned a couple of times about the marketing, you know. Now let's talk about that. Let's mm -hmm. talk about marketing. Let's talk about hype. When it comes to those things, things that, you know, have been kind of placed upon us or we see in social media, I mean, you were talking about the contradictory things. It's like one day, you know, wine is good for you. Mm -hmm. And then the next day, <laughs> ooh, no, wait, someone else said wine is bad for you. And I, I can't keep it straight. But when we think about food label terms and which ones are meaningful and which ones aren't and which ones are marketing and hype, how can you kind of sort that out for us? Absolutely. Well, I, I mean, it's helpful to also zoom out and give context to these terms as well, too. There is a term that's been getting more traction in the world of nutrition and health, and this term is called diet culture. Nowadays, we very much live in a culture of diets. You know, somebody's on keto, another person's on paleo, someone's doing gluten-free because Gwyneth Paltrow said to do it. Or So it's just, it's very normal for people to <laughs> constantly be rotating through yeah. these diets and be really attuned to the next fad. And of course, that's problematic because then we're also modeling that for our children and children are picking that up and thinking that that's normal. On top of that, it's also really, and I'll get to your question, I promise, but it's also really tied to like body image and weight. And there's also this culture of wanting to lose weight all the time or trying to change your body aesthetic. Like, I don't know how many moms I talk to, oh, I just get those extra five, 10 pounds, those pregnancy pounds off or the high school weight. Or, you know, when I talk to my adolescent male patients who are always trying to bulk up and get big and get big, um, it just sort of tells you what kind of culture that we live in. And when our minds are primed to think about food and nutrition, weight and body image in this kind of way, we are almost, I would say, hypersensitive to the terms that are on packaging because we are primed for those messages, if that makes sense. So I think when we look at food label terms, there are some that are actually quite helpful and rooted in data and science and other ones are semi-helpful, ones that aren't so helpful at all, and ones that I would personally say are just downright harmful. So food label terms like 
this food is a good source of fiber or a good source of vitamin C or iron. Or it says this food may support heart health. These are actually backed by data and science and are government regulated terms. That means a food company needs to meet certain criteria to be able to put this claim on their packaging. Otherwise, it's a violation of the law. So these are sort of terms that you can trust. And if you are someone who needs to, you know, for health reasons, you need more fiber or you need more iron in your diet, these can be foods to look out for. Again, it's individual. But I don't want every person in the world looking out for foods with a good source of fiber, vitamin C, iron, may support heart health because it doesn't make sense for everybody. Then there are the semi-helpful terms like made with whole grains or made with real fruit. And I call it semi-helpful because they're sort of misleading. The reason they're misleading is that a food may feature whole grains or may feature some real fruit, but they're the minority ingredient and not the major ingredient, but they're using that as a marketing tactic. Like this has whole grains, but hey, JK, it's the last ingredient on the ingredient list and it's it's really not what you're looking for. And then the terms that I, I don't like, I wouldn't even tune into, I wouldn't pay attention to are terms like superfood or even natural because they're not only unhelpful, but they're undefined and unregulated. So anyone could use superfood or natural on their food and it really wouldn't mean much of anything. And then the last group, of terms that I see and I find downright harmful, going back to that diet culture, weight culture thing that I was saying, is that many people may not realize this, but so much marketing and packaging on foods now is very appearance and body image oriented. We have skinny popcorn and ice cream and cereals. We have, you know, like shakes that like feature, you know, somebody's six pack or like a bulging bicep, foods that are promising some sort of appearance-based outcome. And these are the types of foods that I, or, you know, diet foods as well. These are the types of foods that I encourage parents and caregivers to really try to shield from their children if they can to avoid giving them that messaging indirectly that, you know, food is tied to body image and therefore, you know, that is something that's worthy of their time and energy to be pursuing as a young developing child. It's especially important because the age that a child tries a diet or the age that a child endorses body image issues or wanting to have a different body or smaller body is getting younger and younger. So children as young as five, six, seven are endorsing having been on a diet or wanting to have a body that's different than the one that they have. And I think a lot of it just has to do with this collective messaging that we send and the labels on our food. So avoiding these foods, and if for whatever reason, for a medical reason or other reasons, your child needs these types of foods, it's great to have a conversation around it to help them process that messaging, make sure they're not internalizing it and thinking that that's what they need to aspire to in terms of body image and try to kind of work through that versus holding on to it and having that turn into a priority for a child subconsciously. Yeah, I think you're so right. There's so much to unpack here, but I'm thinking about my son who's 19, who's really into working out, and he won't eat anything mm-hmm. without checking the protein, right? So every... Yeah, you yeah, know, exactly. And it bothers me because, I mean, look, he's an adult, quote unquote, uh, but, you know, uh, dad still buys a lot of the stuff that he eats, you know, right? <laughs> so it concerns me because I don't think he ever eats for pleasure. Yeah. I don't think he ever treats himself. I don't think he ever indulges himself. Everything is about sort of feeding this whatever it is he's trying to make of himself or maintain in his body and his weight and his muscles and so on. And so I think you're so right. And we should probably do one sometime on 
this idea of diet culture. I would love to. Everyone's sort of perpetually dieting, you know, and everything in the aisles is skinny this and that and the other thing. And uh, really uh, fascinating, always educational and fun to speak with you. Thank you so much. I hope we can do more together and you stay well. You as well, Scott. It's a pleasure being here as always. And it's a pleasure to talk to you and, and hearing your stories as well. Thank you for having me. And for more information on this topic, go to stanfordchildrens.org. And if you found this podcast helpful, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And check out the entire podcast library for additional topics of interest. This is Health Talks from Stanford Children's Health. I'm Scott Webb. Stay well, and we'll talk again next time.